Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. How are you today? Junto, can you hear me? Yes. Are you okay? I thought our subject was silent. Well, it is, but we're not just going to have a silent podcast for 30 minutes. You could for Zen. Could we? Is Zen really about silence, or is that just a cliche? Well, I like to say it's about the silence that is in both silence and the greatest noise. Are you doing the whole enigmatic thing again here, aren't you? It's about Zen. First thing I want you to do, we're going to slow down the way we speak. We're going to be like a, a, a public radio, soft-spoken, with big spaces between the words. We're going to breathe today, because it is about silence. So slow down, breathe, and we can begin. Shall I start over? Jundo, how are you today? Fine, Kirk. How are you? <laughs> okay, I, this feels unnatural. I know what you're, I know no, I, what I, you're I, trying I, to I, do, but it feels yeah. unnatural. Well, no, but let's, let's uh, really get into it. Is Zen all about silence? Yes. In the sense that, uh, as I've said here many times, we get up in the morning and our head starts thinking and it's filled with thought. And one thing after another, memories of yesterday, worries about tomorrow, plans for what we have to do today, analyzing what's in the news, checking to see if the world is still there, what our political leaders are messing up with, my problems in my uh, family, my problems at work. When we sit, we put it all down. And we experience life without all that, shall we say, catastrophe. And there's a good way to experience life in simplicity and stillness and quiet. And that is what we do in Zazen, Zen meditation. Well, Zazen is meant to be silent, but it's not silent, is it? In fact, you should be able to sit zazen even with the noise of the world around you. No, that's exactly right. But if you don't react to the noise, there's a kind of quiet. For example, one of the things I like to do every once in a while is I like to sit zazen in incredibly noisy places, like downtown Tokyo. I go to the busiest part of Tokyo where there are not not anymore, not this week. Yeah. <laughs> but usually uh, there are taxis and people running and neon signs. And I sit there and I don't react 
to what I'm hearing. I don't react to what I'm seeing. And that is a kind of silence that shines through the noise. Long space. <laughs> well, you know there really is no such thing as silence. Yeah, I went into one of those uh, supposedly silent rooms that An uh, was a laboratory. Room How do you say it? Anechoic room. Yeah, one of those. And yes. uh, they locked me in there and uh, left me in there about 20 minutes. And of course, first off, I have ringing in my ears. I could hear my heartbeat. I, I swear I could hear uh, my the blood flowing through me. I mean, that was probably my imagination, but it's not quiet. We're, we're not ever truly in a quiet place. The first time I really noticed that was back in the early 1980s. I knew someone who had an isolation tank uh, in New York City. You know what an isolation yeah. tank is? Yeah, sure. So it's one of these things with water, and it's filled with Epsom salts, so you can float in it. And you go inside, and it's dark, and it's quiet. And he had me put earplugs in my ears to keep the salt water from getting in my ears. And here I was in this really relaxing space with no sensory input, no light, no sound, no feeling. Because when you float on the water, you don't feel it. It's The temperature is... is the same as your body temperature. So you don't even right. notice it yet. Once I got in there with the earplugs and in the water, it was exactly like what you just said. I could hear the tinnitus in my ears. I could hear my heart beating. I could hear my breathing. It sounded like Darth Vader. So in silent spaces, there is no silence as long as we're there. But even if we're not there in the world, there can't be silence. It's just not possible, except well, in outer space, of course. Well, no, I think in uh, even in outer space, you would the ear would hear itself, you know. Yes, but I mean absolute silence that could be registered by, say, a microphone recording. Um, in outer space, right. there is no noise. Right. Now, I believe in India, there are certain yogis who can engage in very, very deep forms of meditation in which they can put themselves in a kind of trance that they remove themselves from consciousness of hearing, but I, I now I, I have no experience of this except I might compare it to when I've had surgery a couple of times, and they do knock me out, and I assume at that time that the ear is still functioning, and that the brain is still registering sound, but I have no conscious awareness of it. But I think as long as the brain is functioning and connected to the ear that we're still hearing. Yes, that's correct. Um, just the same as if someone touches you, your body is feeling it, even if your you is not reacting to it. Now, uh, there have been studies done on certain Zen meditators, uh, experienced uh, Zen priests, for example, where they have, during Zazen, put loud noises next to them. Or had reactive words yelled at them. For example, your mother. Or, <laughs> hey, idiot. You know, hey, idiot, you owe me money. Something that people would react to. And uh, supposedly, according to these studies, the brain waves did not react as much as they would if someone were uh, 
in a fully, shall we say, a, a conscious state of these noises. They were not as reactive. Now, you know, my experience is during Zazen, I can relax very deeply. And if there is a loud noise next to me, I'm still going to react. Yeah. But I am not as reactive to what's going on around me. And, yeah, uh, yeah. let's, yeah. Let's just be really quiet. Like yeah, like 2 a.m. on that rock radio station playing the golden oldies. You have some of that cool jazz to play there, Kurt. You're the yeah, music guy. Miles Davis. Yeah. Right. Well, regarding silence, and, and I know there's this misconception that I see every now and then, often on Twitter or Facebook, when people who don't know anything about meditation are talking about meditation, they say that meditation is about silencing the mind. It's not really true. We're not silencing the mind. That may be a side effect of a very experienced meditator. But what we're doing is the same way you were talking about not reacting to the sounds in downtown Tokyo. We try to not react to the thoughts that float through our mind. I can describe this uh, very easily, really. We don't silence the thoughts that come through the mind, but we don't grab onto them or dance with them as much. So, for example, let's say I have a problem in life uh, that is really obsessing me. Oh, I couldn't think what that would be these days. Let's say something <laughs> in the news that we're reading something about like, and something experiencing. Something like a need for about. toilet paper. Yeah, something like that. So I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'm checking the news every five minutes. I'm worrying about it. My mind is filled with worst-case scenario. All right? So when I sit Zazen, there's a good chance that some thought of that will come into my mind. But I don't, this time, I don't grab on and tangle with it. And what happens is, because I don't react to it as much, the problem or the emotional reaction to it either becomes very small or it's, how to say, not a problem. It's just there. And things from my past, let's say I have a, a, a harsh memory from the past that Every time it comes up, I really react to it. Well, during Zazen, if it comes into mind, well, it is what it is, and I don't react. Now, that's a kind of silence, or we say a, a light, or illumination, or a clarity, an openness that shines through the thought, or a silence that can be heard within the thought that just makes it a small thing, or not a problem at all. That is, for me, the experience of Zazen meditation. At the same time, silence can be really healthy. Um, if you've lived in a city, as I know you yeah. have and I have, uh, there's noise all the time. There is uh, sirens and car horns and people yelling. And yeah. when you live in the country like I do, and you're sort of in the country, right? You're in a small town. Right. Th things are a lot more quiet, and there's something really... Disorienting. No, no, no. I've been living in the country long enough that it's not disorienting anymore. Initially, it can be, but when you're used to it, it can be quite relaxing. And yesterday, my partner and I were, yesterday was Easter Sunday, so we were celebrating, even though we're mostly vegetarian these days, we did eat a sacrificial leg of lamb. And mm. we were sitting on the patio, and I noticed how much more silent it is than usual. Now, I live in a village that's a cul-de-sac, so we don't get much through traffic, but there's always, 
You said a cul de sac. Oh, cul de sac. Cul de sac. Only yes, one way in yes. and out. Yes. And yes. even though it's very quiet, there was always this background hiss of cars across the river about a half a mile away. And that was gone because there's no one on the roads anymore. Mm. And at the same time, what amplifies in that silence when you take away a sound, something replaces it. And it's the sound of the breeze. It's the sound of the birds. It's the sound of the woodpecker yes. in the woods. The sounds of nature are becoming so much more prominent these days because human activity has slowed down so much. Well, people think the, the countryside is always quiet. And as you said, I live right next to the rice field. I want to tell you, there are certain times, like uh, about this time of year, horny frogs they are not quiet. Now, the rice fields, the, all this, the, the tadpole, the frogs are, are doing their, their, their shall we say, stuff. horny toad stuff. They're yes. horny toads, and uh, they're making their, their tadpoles. And uh, it's quite a racket. The countryside is not as quiet as uh, folks would think, you know. Yeah. But it's a, it's, a, it's a sound that is somehow more appealing to our hearts, I think, than all the machinery. You're the sound expert, but there's something, um, how to say, harsh and mechanical and and square about urban sound. And there's something that's more according to the body rhythm, I think, about country sounds, that it, it it's, it's easier to be with. It's more uh, relaxing, unless that is the roar of the tiger chasing that we always say. Yes, the tiger, that's not something you want. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the sounds that we have in cities are mechanical. They're harsh. Mm. The sounds that we have in nature, they're rarely continuous. They're almost random. Um, the birds don't all synchronize their song, and, and we have a mm. dozen different birds singing in the garden. So I, I like to just sit and close my eyes sometimes and would you call this a sound meditation where every time you hear another bird call, you focus on that for a bit. And then there's one to the right and you focus on that and you can sure. get lost in it. It's a, it's an enveloping feeling. It's really quite relaxing. It's kind of nature's mantra and you're just listening. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's not the kind of Zazen I was describing, but it's a perfectly good type of meditation to just focus on the natural sounds of nature, and also don't think about them. There's a difference between listening yes. to a river or listening to a bird and thinking, oh, now I'm listening to a bird. What kind of bird is that? I like birds. I'd like to have chicken <laughs> for dinner. That's how the mind adds on, yeah. as opposed to just listening to the water, just listening to the bird. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've heard famously of John Cage's piece of music called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. Uh, yeah. What happened is that a pianist would come on stage. I believe this was first performed in Tanglewood. Um, and pianist David Tudor came on stage and he sat down at the piano and he closed the lid of the piano and he looked at a watch that was on the music stand until a certain duration of time had passed. And he opened the lid and he moved around and stretched himself a little bit and he did this three times for a total three short movement for a total of four minutes and 33 seconds and on the surface you can think of this as a provocation but what it did was make people have the same type of focused listening that they have in a concert hmm. but focused on the sounds around them 
the people mm. breathing and coughing and shifting in their seats and the it was outdoors so you had the wind and maybe some birds and it's a really fascinating way to consider that sound itself can be music if you don't grasp onto those urban sounds as being bad but or just rather let them pass through well shinryu suzuki roshi has one of his most famous recorded talks you'll have to put a link to this in which he discusses the difference between sound and noise and i believe he used the example of the bluebird um which at first i thought why is he speaking of the bluebird don't bluebirds have a lovely call and then i put a recording of a bluebird which you'll have to do as well and it's quite harsh quite harsh I, I think it was the bluebird. And he made the point of, you know, the bluebird's call is the bluebird's call. It is our reaction that makes the difference between the peaceful sound and the bothersome noise. The bird is just the bird's call, you know. But we judge, oh, that is disturbing. So if you don't react, if you don't judge, and you just accept it as it is, it's just sound. And he also made the lovely Zen observation that the sounds we think are outside us are also inside us. That to hear the sound of the bird is not just the bird calling there, it is the ear and the experience of the sound within us in a great loop and our reaction to it. The bird call takes, how to say, all of us involved to create the bird call. Well, it's the same with silence, too. Silence is not something that just exists outside you. It exists in your heart if you find silence in your heart. And if you can find silence in your heart, even as there's the great noise outside, then the noise becomes silent. Zen people like to talk about consciousness, you know, the science of consciousness. And yeah. there's something that I read not long ago, and, and it, it rejoins what you said about Suzuki, about the fact that the bird song is coming in, but it's also us reaching out. It, it's a metaphor for the radio and the TV as well. When you have a radio or a TV, the antenna is actually sending a signal to trap the incoming signal. And mm. when we see something or hear something, it's a similar way of being conscious. Um, we don't know, we don't care if there's silence. Our body doesn't need silence. Our body can be slightly damaged by too much noise, our body and our mind, but we don't need silence. Um, yet, I don't know. Well, no, we don't need it to live. We could have just the normal noises without being excessive and it wouldn't be a problem. But what I find is that silence can be a sort of recharging. If you're used to a noisy environment, allowing that part of your brain and your consciousness and your ear, the little hairs in your ears, allowing them to relax can be like taking a nap in some ways. I think it, unless I was born with a hearing uh, disability, to suddenly be in total silence for a long period could be maddening. It would be like a, a kind of uh, uh, solitary confinement uh, that would take some getting used to 
But yes, I also total think... silence. But that's that absolute total silence doesn't exist. Go from a city to the country, and the silence that you have is that silence of what we just described, nature. And I, I would toads. say that I would say that the noise we're surrounding ourselves with, especially the media, constantly checking the news, constantly checking the phone, constantly having uh, data pour into us. That is doing us some harm. I think there there is real damage. And this week, with so many people being at home, uh, for that reason, we, we kind of said we're not going to directly discuss this week. We're going to leave silence there, too. But having people at home, I'm a little kind of, how to say, concerned that people have come into their homes, and it could be a good relaxing experience for many people you know, to put down their some of their rat race, but they're just replacing it with the computer and the phone and the and the what's on the TV, and they're just bombarding themselves with as much stimulation as always. It would be good if people took this time to slow down a little and really appreciate a little silence in their lives. Yes, I think you made a good point about silence being not just sound. Silence is all of our sensory inputs, or mm. the lack of sensory input. Um, there can be visual noise just the way that there can be uh, audible noise. And there can be psychological noise, as you say, checking the news, um, going onto a grocery store website to try and order some food, things like that. The things we're not going to talk about. Um, all of these sensory inputs, they do sort of, they, they all come together in a kind of a cloud of noise, don't they? Have you ever taken a vow of silence? No. Have you ever tried not to speak for hours or even days? Maybe maybe months? There's that wonderful film, have you seen it? I, I think it's called Into Great Silence, about the monks in Europe who live for years. And of course, there's no dialogue in the movie. It must have been very easy to be the sound man on that film because... <laughs> no, the, it probably wasn't because they had to record ambient sounds, which ah, are more yes, difficult. Yes, See? Yes, yes. But uh, I've gone a few days, I think about three days, uh, of maintaining... And it was very difficult because you end up, you know, you're pointing at things and doing hand signals trying to get folks to understand and... and, and uh, well, that's if you're with I, other people. When I've lived alone, there have been periods when I've gone days without speaking to people. And it's very easy because I know many people didn't want to speak to you either. So it was... Uh... <laughs> no, but since I've been working at home on a weekend, when I lived alone on a weekend, I wouldn't be talking to anyone for work. Um, right. Maybe I'd talk to myself like, you know, I'm vacuuming and I'm telling myself what I'm going to do. I tend to talk to myself a bit, actually, when I'm doing... Like, you know what they call over here DIY stuff, like fixing things. I'm really bad at it. Um, so I tend to talk to myself. But I, it's true that I've never tried to have like a day of silence, no music, no TV, nothing like that. That would be an interesting exercise. Maybe not for everyone right now because you've got family at home and you're not used to it. But it would be an interesting exercise to go about your life doing everything you do, cooking and eating and sleeping and walking around and working, but not talking and not having any music, TV, radio, or anything like that. 
Well, I've often spoken of how going to a monastery, I don't think, was quite the challenge 200 years ago than it is today. Because it was not hard to, to go to the monastery and put down your phone and to turn off the TV and to, uh, how to say, uh, not uh, have to check your computer every five minutes because those things didn't exist. So you basically went from um, a silent environment uh, where you're not overstimulated by media to an environment that was not that different. But now I think it would, it's much more of a challenge. And I, I think we're addicted to noise and we're addicted to information and stimulation. And it's harder for us, I think, to unplug. Okay, would you like to take that challenge to go for a day without saying anything? Shall we start oh my. now? Right now? No, how are we going to end the podcast? People would just be listening and we will never say goodbye. We can't start right now. Well, one of these days, actually, that would be an interesting exercise for Tree Leaf to do some sort of a group day of silence. Um, again, this is not maybe the best time for this, uh, where no, people have, no, no. have worries and, you know, maybe have family at home that's not usually at home. But it would be worth, it would be interesting to do that, which doesn't mean that people can't. Well, if you were doing a day of silence, you would have to say that you're not writing either writing emails, sending texts and, and things. So it would have to be a day without communication and sound. We'll have to think about that. You basically have to get in the closet, close the door, and just stay in there for an entire <laughs> day. I think that's the, And then, of course, you have, the vo you have a voice in your mind. that I, I have a, a voice I, uh, speaking to me all the time. I, actually, I have six or seven, and they're all fighting in there. But that's my own <laughs> issue. No, I'm just... But... Uh, no, I, I think we're, our mind is, is rarely silent. But that's one of the reasons that when we sit Zen meditation, no, we don't go to total silence, although there might be even minutes when we are basically completely silent. But it is such a contrast to the noise of the day uh, that uh, I recommend it to everyone. You know, you talk and talk and listen and listen, and that's great. You need that, but every day for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, really sit, put all the entanglements down, don't get caught in thought, and try a little silence. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.